Welcome, Dr. James Beck at Sports Card Insights. Today's episode with Michael Zagino. Zagino, I've tracked with him for a while now because I'd see him comment. I've seen some of his videos as well as seen him chime in on Jeremy's show, Sports Cards Live, and other things. So he's always got an opinion, a take, and I really appreciate that. He tells it like he sees it. I didn't know how to title. This is the first part of it, which... I guess I'll call it an interview. I don't know if he was interviewing me or I was interviewing him or he was just making statements and I was reacting to them and then throwing something back at him. So it had some elements of dueling questions as well. But I enjoyed it. Thanks, Michael, for your fresh insights and willing to say things in a direct way. Thanks, sponsors, Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Comsi.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. If you like this episode, there's another part coming. This is 15 minutes of it. Thanks, Michael, for sharing your time. And here it is. I love bringing people's attention to other good content going on in the hobby. Back in July of 2020, I was watching Jeremy on Sports Card Live, and he did this video talking to the product manager from Panini about all the cool things coming out. I'm like, man, this is too great of information to nobody not know about. So the next day I put together my daily show and I did it as a daily and I started giving updates on all these cool new things. Like you got to listen to Jeremy here because this is what's important. You got to listen to BenchClear over here because here's what's important. I wanted to get people to pay attention to positive content and even negative content sometimes. So hey, do you see what's going on over here? What do you think about this? I've had kind of ups and downs over the last two years with that, if that makes sense. I could see the downs because there's some bad news sometimes and that gets you down and I'm the opposite of that. I don't know that I'm going to take a break. It's just my personality. I didn't take any breaks from putting out the magazines every month and say, hey, I don't feel like it this month or I'm born out. Of course, we had a a fabulous team too. But my team is me and you're on my team today. It's been great to have interviews and other people that care, but uh, I'm going to probably put out daily until I get so tired that I don't want to do it anymore. I don't think there is any lack of topics or people interviewed. It's funny when people talk about they don't know content and then you're just not embracing the hobby because it's more than just opening a box. There's so many stories. In fact, the thing I love the most is meeting so many new people who do want to share their stories or do want to talk. Some of them are public, some of them are private. Some of them will point things to me that they don't want to talk about themselves. But I just think that's the fascinating part. Like to me, in fact, I collect the memories more than the cards. People I've met, breaks I've been in, box, boxes I've opened, deals I've done. That to me is more exciting than the cards. The cards help tie that memory to you. That's what I enjoy the most. It's all blended together for me. It's hard to separate the cards from the people. What I've done lately, though, try to dial it back to make it a hobby instead of a business where I'm having a payroll and having to make big decisions about problems. So now I can just have fun talking to friends on the phone or on the Zoom or in person and turning it into a podcast. That's a fun thing too about the hobbies. It's such an entrepreneurial thing. This is going to be a fun hobby. I might make some money. I don't want to lose money, but I'm just going to enjoy the ride. You can't I, I agree. Also, you don't get compensated strictly in money in life, right. right? There's so many other compensations, the people you meet, the networks. In fact, that's one thing I think is interesting to me when people go, oh, you know, pump and dumps, whatever. It's not about the cards. It's about the influence that person has because of their access to cards that I think people need to pay more attention to. The 86 FLIR thing going on right now with the whole drama, I don't really care about that. I care about why isn't anyone standing up and just saying, how do we make this better? What do we learn from this? What does this mean for the industry? For example, what I learned is I didn't realize these boxes, they're never sealed, right? The cases were sealed, but the 86 boxes themselves were never sealed. So pack sliding in and out makes a lot of sense to me. So why don't we have industry experts come out from FLIR and talking about that so more people are educated about that? I just wish things like that would take place, if that makes sense. The boxes were 10 bucks. Sealing the box would have added another dime, Michael. Yeah, I understand that. It wasn't a big deal. Nobody cared. But now, 35 years later, 
it's a felony doing criminal activities. Interesting. I've always thought, okay, if you open 86 FLIR, you're going to get two to three Jordans in it. That's always been what I would consider, is it tampered or not? If you don't get the two or three Jordans, it must be a tampered box. And that's not using real logic. But if it has two or three, it's a good box. But now listening to everything, I'm realizing it's not about the, the number. I'm not going to argue it could have been made by FLIR that way. Realizing these boxes, were, like you said, were $10. They didn't put cellophane on them. The packs would move back and forth. There's no reason to suspect that a, a box would have the original 36 packs over 40 years. That's just crazy to think that way. But I think we make these myths in our minds and we create these valuations. Like the person who paid for that was whatnot. It's a company. Was anybody hurt? No. I'm sure there's a damage in a way, but no little kid was ripped off. I just hope we learn from this. I hope we educate people on this. The next time one opens, we're not shocked by it. We're not surprised. Is that fair? We're trying to compare something was done 36 years ago and yep. manufacturing processes and packaging processes with the current technology and the ability for people to beat the system. So you don't even need x-ray eyes to figure out what's in the pack. Any, any wax pack that's sealed by wax can be unsealed and resealed. And resealed yep. I don't know exactly all the technology that Baseball Card Exchange would use to certify. They believe this is a legitimate unsearched box. or I guess they'd have, probably have to look at each pack. But I have a PhD in statistics. There's ways to analyze to find out whether it falls outside the range of statistical probability, the configuration of what you got. Because it's not just the distribution of the Jordan rookie cards. There's the sticker too, and the distribution of the stickers. If you're missing the better cards, there could be a pretty strong inference that there'd been some switching. It's... Some switching. it's- yeah. When I look at these instances, I just hope that we, and it's funny, you started this off by saying, you know, the hobby's had its ups and downs. I wish out of all the great things that have happened and bad in the last two years since the 2020 boom, we haven't come together as a community to do more good. Why aren't we doing more to prevent bad things from happening? Because it's um, easier to do something bad than to build a system that prevents it. If somebody burns the house down, that takes one match. To rebuild the house takes a lot of subcontractors and all this meticulous following of the plan. He's talked about a code of ethics or how do you get people to sign up for it, even if you could agree on what would be included? I won't even go there because it's funny. I can see people not supporting that. Oh, socialist code of ethics. But I'll put it this way. Anti-fraud and just theft. I don't understand why the manufacturers don't share more information about what they make. Like, for example, these NT patches, why don't they share the pictures so that we really can track what the card looks like and prevent tampering? And Jeremy Lee did a story on this years ago, right, where he took pictures of, I think it was a cup or NT, and he was able to help watch that. Wax Museum does that. He keeps track of these patches, these high-value things. This, to me, seems like a no-brainer. Like, every manufacturer, you don't have to give me your print runs, but give me pictures of these very valuable pieces of memorabilia you're making so that we can make that public. And it can be kept in a database, and that way people can monitor or track it. Another thing would be hits. I'd like to be able to track hits. When you open new products, as new products are released, I understand people have privacy. You might not want to share that you opened a card or whatever, but give incentives so that when you do or when a card is traded, sold, or bought, these numbers get reported. It would help so much in the tracking. I think it's a very basic skeletal system to do. It's not asking anybody to sell out anybody. It's just, hey, let's report data up so we can kind of have a hit tracker and we can do some kind of anti-fraud tracking. Okay. Two things that you haven't brought up. One is that the card companies, they don't want to do things that other people are going to do for them. So you're okay. saying they should do this, but Kyle's doing it or Jeremy's doing it. And they're they, not. Well, they're not something. It. But in some cases, they're thinking if people want it bad enough, they'll do it. Okay. So that's yep. one thought. The second thought is that I believe that back in the day, the card companies had a measured responsiveness. That is that if they got in the habit of taking good suggestions from passionate hobbyists, 
and following up on them and doing that, what that was going to do is encourage more suggestions and more work for them, to, <laughs> even if it's in their best interest. So they're a little facetious, but they remained aloof. So they didn't give the appearance that if you give us a good suggestion, we're going to do it. And thank you for your suggestion. So they didn't have that posture. It was like, hey, we're tops. We know what we're doing. We're Donruss, Fleer, Playoff, Upper Deck, Panini, whatever. You fill in the blank of whoever yeah. it is. But all of them had that. It was like a separation of church and state. You guys, we make the cards. You guys buy the cards. And I think that that should have gone out in the 20th century. 21st century is a lot more collaborative. It's a lot more power to the people, you know, with Yelp reviews and things like that. Customers make a difference. I believe that some of those suggestions you're making, they hopefully will be received and work their way up through the channels. They're not. It's funny. You made me think to myself, what do you think that will? Because you said yourself, right? The kind of suggestion box was, yeah, you got an idea, stick in the suggestion box, finally. Nice. Yeah, whatever. Do you think though, Fanatics is going to have a monopoly? Right? Are they more likely or less likely to then listen to suggestions? They could be like, hey, you know what? We're going to print it. You don't like it. So what? We have a suggestion box in our company. Yep. And we were always open to suggestions. And I was pretty accessible and all this stuff. But when we formally put a suggestion box that allowed for anonymous suggestions, we yeah. got a lot more suggestions. And some of them were stupid, but a few of them were good. But it wasn't appreciably more good ones, but it was appreciably more bad ones. So to formalize the suggestion thing, it doesn't always have a desired effect. I think if uh, some content creators and some respected people in the industry, and you would be, I would be, Kyle would be, Jeremy would be, all the people that we're talking about, and just said, hey, how about this? But if it wasn't necessarily embarrassing the company publicly, but just saying, we've been thinking about this, and here's how this would be helpful. And frankly, whether it's Fanatics, I don't think Fanatics is going to have a pure monopoly. They may have a de facto right, monopoly. Right. They're still very capitalistic. They're going to be interested in anything that's going to increase their revenue or decrease their costs. And so if it increases their costs, it's got to increase their revenues by more. And so if you make that case to them, I think they'll jump all over it if they think it's going to be good for them. I heard this, I think, from Warren on Jeremy's show talking about investment money coming in the hobby. This is very interesting because he said the two things investors are looking at is regulations on breaking and regulations on grading. Breaking because they see it could be gambling. There could be some concerns with kids and grading because there's no standard on on how grading is. It's very subjective and these big price swings, right? Both those topics are things that I do wish we, the community, would talk more about. How do we make this better? I guess instead of hating each other, come together at the National and have a conference on, hey, here are the top five things we'd like to see improve in the the hobby this year. How can we make those improvements? Michael, you're talking trickle up. Yeah. Guys like Warren <laughs> trickle down. Dude, yeah. I'm a trickle up guy too. I'm just a person now. I'm not a corporate yeah. yeah. This Warren guy, these the venture capital, the private equity, the big money guys, when they say something, it, that's the way it's probably going to happen because they're going to not invest in the category if they didn't have confidence in the category. And they're going to have confidence in the category if those leaks in the boat are plugged. And so grading, yep. I think it's happening as we speak. There's been movement. I think grading will be better off next year than it was last year. Breaking, another story. I think it's yep. free for all out there. It's style over substance in many cases. I want to have good style too, but the substance has to be there. With breaking, it's just too easy and there's too many opportunities. How do you I, regulate I, it when, in a free world? Actually, some crimes may be getting committed, but for the most part, it's just hyperbole and over-promising and under-delivering in a few and, cases. And breaking, I would regulate it through the state's gaming institutions. They already do lotto. And I would start by fining people where you could, and the states would make a ton of money on this, right? Just go out and find a bunch of, warn them first. You can't do this unless you meet these state regulations. 
Worn them a couple of times and find a few. I think this will sort itself out. Breaking's got out of hand because products got out of hand. I think once Fanatics tightens up distribution again, and we start maybe get to a better where the consumers are driving what products popular again instead of just people selling everything, that will fix things. But I do think breaking could be regulated through the states. I don't think it will be. I think it's going to be re- regulated by Fanatics. They're going to just say, you, you want to break? You got to break on our platform or our approved platform, and we're going to regulate. Otherwise, you're not going to get product. Or- I would like that, but I think it's harder for them to do that because second, third markets, they can't control that. Like my concern would be a kid, a 15-year-old kid who gets a bunch of product and starts breaking with his friends and then starts stealing money from him because he doesn't sell the product to them or whatever. That'd be where I'd be worried. But It's either criminal or civil. (laughs) You've been defrauded. I don't know that the regulation will happen in certain states that are more regulating than others. Maybe that'll happen, but I'm trying to defeat that notion. And you and every other sensible content creator, I believe the answer is education. Basically, what I'm saying is if you're participating in a break for fun, then have fun. The value of the break is in that sense of community and it's fun, it's laughs, and I get some cards and that's great. But if you're doing it for profit, that is not a game of skill. It is a game of chance. And like other games of chance, it's rigged against you, not in an illegal way, but you go to Las Vegas, the game, the odds are against you. Vegas, you're relying on luck. Okay. So unless you've got some kind of edge, don't do luck things. Do games of skill in the hobby. And so I can tell people, look, study up on what's good. If they're doing breaks to try to make money, it's like you said, it's buying lottery tickets. And then you hear about somebody that has a huge score and you think that could have been me. But it's against everything in my statistical training because the odds are stacked against you. It's like playing the lottery. It's paramutual. What goes in does not come out. When I came back to the hobby in 15, I got into breaking with my sons. Long story on why we did that. I'm a divorced dad and we could do it remotely. Now, what I learned about breaking from another friend of mine was breaking, he said to me, is like poker. Because you go to the poker on Atlantic City, there's lots of people came there to spend $100 in entertainment. They're going to lose $100 at the table. You could throw money at them. They're still going to walk away down. 